The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Innovating Innovation with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in your company's future and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, 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 welcome. If you want to run with the Game Changers, you are in the right place. Those of you who've been listening for the past five years know the number of welcomes I say in the intro is the indicator of how many people we have on the show today. So it's a packed house. We have four. Let me get started. The buzz on the street. Well, it's a quote from Jack Welsh. Come on, you remember. He was the chairman and CEO of General Electric between 1981 and 2001, and GE's company value rose 4,000%. Here's the quote. Change before you have to. Now, that's important coming from Mr. Welch. What are we talking about today? Well, B2B sales experts, managers, and pundits traditionally give credit for their organization success in selling to individual seller skill sets. Come on. Harry is a wonderful seller and he's got great personality. Mary is terrific at cold calls and she really studies the market. We're talking about individuals here. Not true anymore. Breaking news. Sit down and listen. According to the Rain Group's 2012 study of top performing sellers, get this, an innovation-based sales strategy is what really is helping increase the win rates, driving long-term customer loyalty, and building collaborative, long-term, ongoing, loyal buyer-seller relationships. That's all the good stuff you want. So the question is, I mentioned that it may be breaking news. Does your company know about this yet? Well, we have four experts on the panel who are going to help you learn about it, figure it out, and see how this can apply to your sales team. So let me just tell you who's on the show with me today. We have Ago Clattens, C-L-U-Y-T-E-N-S. He is the Rain Group's Practice Director for EMEA. Joining Ago is Tony Hughes, a best-selling author and international keynote speaker who writes for Top Sales Magazine. We're also welcoming Kian McLaughlin, founder and CEO of Trinity Perspectives and the author of Rebirth of a salesman. I like that title. And rounding out the panel from SAP is Sean Robertson, Global VP of Management Excellence, Social Selling, and E-Center Optimization for SAP's fastest growing RTM. So now let me circle back to Ago, who sent me a quote from Henry David Thoreau. I won't go into great detail, but Thoreau lived from 1817 to 1862. He was an American essayist, poet, philosopher, abolitionist, naturalist, tax resistor, development critic, surveyor, and historian. He was kind of busy, and he's best known for his book, Walden, A Reflection Upon Simple Living in Natural Surroundings, and his essay, Resistance to Silver Government. I'll leave that one alone. Here's the quote. I know of no more encouraging fact than the unquestionable ability of man to elevate his life by conscious endeavor. Well, that's a powerful quote. Ago Clattens, how are you today? I'm doing well, Bonnie. Thank you. Thank you. 
Thank you for joining us. Love the quote from Thoreau. I'm not sure I'm, I know exactly what it means, and I'd love to have you tell us, first of all, how do you interpret it, and how does it apply to our topic? Because today we're talking about B2B sales winners, the role of innovation. Go ahead, Ago. Yeah, so if you look at this quote, I mean, um, this is really, for me, this is the essence of innovation, right? The unquestionable ability of man to elevate his life by conscious endeavor. You might as well say the unquestionable ability that organizations have to improve, to to do better, to do more, to sell more, to generate more business, to grow revenues, and all the stuff that we want. Um, and so for me, this is really a quote that is very, very personal. I discovered uh, Walden, the book that you just referenced, probably in my late teen years, so maybe 18, 17, 18, something like that. And, and I remember when I read it, I read it from cover to cover, and that's kind of exceptional for an 18-year-old, I think, to read a book like that. <laughs> Um, oh, yeah. So since then, Thoreau's really become my all-time favorite author, um, and this quote has become a guiding principle for how I live my life, but also for how I earn my living. I mean, I'm a sales trainer, coach, consultant, um, and so my job, in essence, is to help others um, elevate their life by conscious endeavor, and, and so this has really become a guiding principle. I truly believe that the best organizations thrive on this principle as well. Um, and if you define innovation as the unquestionable ability that we all have, whether individually or collectively, to elevate our life, to elevate our business um, by consciously applying ourselves, I believe this quote is highly fitting. Thank you, Agar. I appreciate the background. And I haven't read up anything about Walden in such a, a many, many years. So I just looked it up, and I just want to add this side note for our listeners. Walden, first published as Walden or Life in the Woods, as I mentioned, is a book by noted transcendentalist Henry David Thoreau. But here's what's interesting. First published in 1854, Walden details Thoreau's experiences, get this, everyone, over the course of two years two months and two days in a cabin he built near Walden Pond amidst woodland owned by his friend and mentor, Ralph Waldo Emerson near Concord, Mass. Very interesting. Very, very interesting. Did you know it was two months, two years, two months, and two days, Ago? You know what? Uh, I actually didn't. I mean, I obviously know the story because that's detailed in the book, but I can't, I didn't remember it was two months, two days, uh, sorry, two years, two months, and two days. That's an interesting <laughs> bit of information. Thanks for, uh, for bringing that up. You're most welcome. That's part of my job is to bring in the interesting, hopefully interesting trivia. I appreciate it. Delighted to meet you, Ago, and a lot more coming from you during the show. And now let me welcome Tony Hughes, best-selling author and international keynote. And Tony has sent us a quote from Zig Ziglar. Anybody not remembering? We have a lot of young listeners around the world. Zig Ziglar's real name was Hillary Hinton Ziglar, and it, no, no relationship to anybody running in a U.S. election this year. But it's Hillary with one L. It's a man's name, Hinton and his nickname was Zig Ziglar. He lived from 1926 to 2012. He just passed away four years ago, actually, November 28th. He was an American author, salesman, and motivational speaker. Little background Tony may not know. Zig Ziglar was born in Coffee County in southeastern Alabama, and he was the 10th of 12 children. He wrote so many books, I can't list them all, but among his popular titles, written the ones I have are from 1982 to 98, Zig Ziglar's Secret Secrets of Closing the Sale, Raising Positive Kids in a Negative World, Top Performance, How to Develop Excellence in Yourself and Others. I think that goes back to Thoreau's uh, comments about conscious endeavor, uh, Over the Top, and Success for Dummies. And here is the quote Tony has selected. Information causes people to think, but emotion causes them to act. Tony Hughes, welcome. How are you today? 
I'm great, Bonnie. Thanks for having me on the show. I'm a real fan. And you did show, you did give me some information about Zig I didn't know. There you go. I'm fulfilling my job here. So question is, Tony, how did you pick this quote? I know that Zig Ziglar was related to sales. He was a salesman and he wrote about sales. What would he say if he knew you were talking about him today on an internet radio show? He probably knew these existed, but emotion causes them to act. That's so important. So, Tony, tell me about it. You know, the reason I picked that quote is that um, I believe that successful people today can blend the timeless principles of success with a way of modernizing the way that they sell to extend their reach um, and the level of efficiency in their selling. So, you know, for, for me, we all need to learn to lead with why a conversation matters. One of the problems that so many sellers suffer from today is that they lead with who they are, what they do it and how they do it. And that's really those facts that just cause people to think. It's emotion that causes people to act. So we need to lead with why. But um, as much as I'm a huge fan of Simon Sinek that talks about leading with why we do what we do, mm-hmm. I think that's important. But there's a second dimension. We need to lead with why conversation should matter to the buyer. Um, and this is really at the heart of, uh, of modernized selling, be a person of insight and value and earn the right to build a relationship of trust. Um, you know, Bonnie, I was listening to one of your previous shows uh, on the internet just last week, and someone mm-hmm. you're interviewing said that they believe that selling is the exchange of trust. Um, mm-hmm. I actually believe that uh, selling is the exchange of value, but trust determines the speed and the probability of actually doing business. So I think everyone's still got a lot to learn from Zig, even though the world's changed a lot. Thank you. Very, very thoughtful response, Tony. I appreciate that. And I have to say thank you for being a listener. We we welcome listeners, obviously, from all over the world. And in a few minutes, we'll ask all of you what you're drinking and where you're calling from. And I think our listeners will have a couple of surprises on where our guests are today. So thank you so much, Tony. Great response. And now let's go to our third panelist. It's Kian McLaughlin. Let me spell his first name because you would never guess. It's C-I-A-N. And we might talk later a little bit about the origins of his name. He's the founder and CEO. CEO of Trinity Perspectives and author of Rebirth of a Salesman. And Tony did a nice segue for me because Kian has selected a quote from Simon Sinek. And I'll just read a little background here. Maybe I can surprise Kian with a little background he didn't know. Uh, Sinek was born October 9th, 1973. So he and I are celebrating birthdays two days apart coming up in just a couple weeks. Sinek is an author, speaker, and consultant who writes on leadership and management. And he is known popular for popularizing the concepts of the golden circle and start with why and i have to mention that simon sinek's first tedx talk on how great leaders inspire action is the third most viewed video on ted.com and his book on the same subject start with why how great leaders inspire everyone to take action was written in 2009 he writes for the new york times wall street journal washington post houston chronicle fast company on 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 here is the quote kian has selected Simon Sinek says, oh, I like that, 70% of buying decisions are based on how customers feel they are being treated. Oh, my goodness. We're back to that emotion, I think. Kian McLaughlin, welcome to Game Changers. How are you today? I'm very well, Bonnie. Thanks for having me on the show. We're delighted. I'm going to ask the engineer to bump up your volume a little bit. It's hard for me to hear you a little bit. So, Kian, if you just talk a little bit louder, I'd love to know how you picked the quote from Simon Sinek, please. Sure. Well, look, 
I think the thing for me which is really interesting is I'm, I'm very lucky. I get to spend a lot of time with end customers and talking to them about their decision-making criteria and why they make the decisions they make. And I often used to think, having spent 20-plus years in the B2B sales industry, that their decisions were based on, um, you know, the best product, the best price point, the ability to address certain key problems and outcomes. But actually what I've learned over the last few years is, has changed my perceptions on that a lot. And, and, and what I've learned is that people are actually they're searching for connection. They're searching for congruency between what you're saying and, and how you're acting. Um, and emotion and intuition often you know, drive these decisions as much, if not more, more so than logic. So we're looking at things like gut feel, cultural fit, feedback from our peers, and that's determining how we're feeling towards an individual. And that individual beco- becomes, in many ways, the personification of the, of the organization they're representing. So, so I think the key word in Simon's quote here is feel. And, and if we treat them in a particular way, they'll respond in a particular way, and that increases our likelihood of... Um, of prosecuting the transaction, and I see that confirmed time and time again when I speak to to customers and decision makers. Thank you, Key. And that brings up an interesting question in my mind is in this day and age of social selling, and I know we'll talk about that somewhere during the show, conveying emotion, building trust. It's harder. There's no face-to-face. There's no handshake. There's no smile. There's no eye contact. Can you make a quick comment on that, the feeling, the emotion, the trust, the relationship? Just a, a quick, uh, what would Simon Sinek say about that? Well, I'm not sure if I can paraphrase Simon, but what I'd say is that um, the, the the mechanisms for establishing trust in, in an online forum are, are different to what they're like face-to-face, but some of the fundamentals are pretty consistent. We can we can sense if someone's being authentic. We can sense if they're trying to sell us something or if they're trying to find a way to add value, if they're being honest, if they're being candid in their in their commentary, mm-hmm. if they're um, you know, really expressing their opinion or just going through the emotions. So I think humans are our, our sense of um, our ability to interpret things is, is becoming more and more well honed as we spend more and more time in the digital realm. Um, but fundamentally, the, the principles of liking and trusting are actually still there and are still very important. And it's very important for our listeners to get that message, if nothing else. Thank you so much, Kian. And now let me bring on our fourth panelist. It is Sean Robertson, Global VP of Management Excellence, Social Selling, and eCenter Optimization at SAP. And Sean has sent me a quote from the sports world. Surprise, surprise. It's from Lou Holtz, whose original name was Louis Leo Lou Holtz, born January 6, 1937. I think he's still around. He's a former U.S. American football player, coach, and analyst. He served as head coach at so many places. I'll just list quickly. College of William and Mary from 1969 to 71, North Carolina State University, University of Arkansas, University of Minnesota, University of Notre Dame, and University of South Carolina, compiling a career record. This will make sense to uh, football fans. 249, 132, and 7. Now, here's the important part. Lou Holtz's 1988 Notre Dame team went 12-for-0 with a victory in the Fiesta Bowl and was the consensus national champion. And Lou Holtz is the only college football coach to lead six different programs to bowl games and the only coach to guide four different programs to the top final top 20 rankings and hometown for me he coached the New York Jets of the National Football League in the 1976 season. Enough about Lou Holtz. Here's the quote Sean has selected. You can't win in the NCAA without great athletes but you can lose with them. Whoa. Sean Robertson you've been on Game Changers before. Welcome back. How are you? Excellent. Thank you Bonnie for having me again. 
We are delighted. So talk to me. You're a big Lou Holtz fan. I don't know who wouldn't be after that track record. <laughs> well, actually, just the opposite. Uh, I have zero, uh, zero affinity for uh, any of the programs <laughs> he coached. But what I did believe uh, when he said this, and I, I even remember when I heard it the first time, I don't think anything made more sense to me about leadership. Uh, you know, we, we sometimes grab things out of the sports world and bring them in, uh, sometimes metaphorically, and then sometimes they translate. And when I look around, especially these transformations companies are going through, uh, to really grasp the digital concept, to really understand the movement uh, in the ways we communicate and the tools available that we communicate, we, we sometimes tend to look at the, look the people that need to change, but the leaders themselves somehow feel uh, that they don't need to change with them. And I'm a firm believer of, of leading from the front and, and setting the example by your own behavior. And mm -hmm. so for me, this quote really, especially with all these transformations, is how, many, how often do we see someone preaching about the transformation that needs to happen, yet they haven't transformed? Uh, almost they're immune to the transformation themselves. So this, this quote to me seemed important. Uh, as we're talking about transformation of, of how we sell, how we connect, how we lead, et cetera, et cetera mm -hmm. that really we need to lead from the front. Uh, and as leaders, we need to embrace the concepts that we want our people to follow. Thank you, Sean. Also, very insightful and very thoughtful answer. Appreciate that. Yes, no, no one is immune. If you're going to transform, it's got to be the whole team, all the way from the top down. Thank you. Now we're going to get a little personal with our panelists. Everybody who listens to the show regularly knows this is the part where we talk about what's in your cup today. But I think I alluded at the opening to the fact that our, our panelists are calling from around the world, literally. So let's start out with Ago Clatton's Ago Rain Group. Where are you calling from? And we'd love to know, what are you drinking right now that's really interesting or what are you planning to drink later on? Ago, talk to me. All right, so, uh, Bonnie, I'm calling in from near Lisbon, Portugal, um, which, uh, by the way, I can highly recommend to anyone uh, to come and visit. It's a fantastic location. Um, we've made it our home for the last couple of years, um, and obviously I travel around the region, but today I just happen to be home before I'm going off on another trip. Um, in my coffee cup, there's actually no coffee. Um, I stopped drinking coffee two years ago. I was a uh, seven to eight shots of espresso per day man, and ultimately Ooh. then ended up uh, you know, catching up with me uh, in forms that I do not want to describe on the show. So now I take it easy. Um, I drink mostly healthy stuff. Um, so drinking fresh lemonade with ginger and mint right now. It's homemade. Um, and later on, I will probably, um, perhaps somewhat boringly, uh, brew myself. The last thing I like to drink every day is a uh, is a cup of homemade chamomile tea. And that's not very sexy. I know you were, you know, trying to. I don't know. Maybe we're expecting a, a fancy cocktail or you know a, no. a draft specialized beer or something. But you know, I'm I'm kind of choosing a healthy options all the way. Well, Aga, that's very interesting you said that. I love the admission of the seven espresso shots a day with the de declining to tell us what the impact was on your on your body. But uh, the fresh lemonade with ginger and mint is a delightful drink, and there's nothing wrong with chamomile tea. As a matter of fact, I always find it interesting that high-powered people like the four of you on my panel today sometimes just revert to a nice plain cup of tea. I think that's very sexy in itself. So there. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to roll that back and say 
that's a wonderful thing to be drinking. Ago, thank you, and we're glad you're healthy. Now let's move to Tony Hughes. Tony's calling from somewhere very different from Lisbon. Tony, where are you today, and what's in your cup? Hey, Bonnie. Well, uh, both Kian and I are calling from the future, so we're in Sydney, so we're actually in a time zone ahead. Um, a little while ago, I had a Red Bull to make sure I could stay awake. It's actually about one thirty in the morning here. Um, and like Argo, I've, uh, I actually like chamomile tea, so I'm on to about my third cup of chamomile tea So to try and counter the, the Red Bull when I go to bed in a couple of hours' time. Wonder, at, and we thank you very much, you and Kian as well, for staying awake for this. It was very important to have the both of you as part of our panel because you came so highly recommended, and I know why, and I think our listeners know why as well. So we appreciate the late night. Thank you very much, Tony. Kian, we were talking about you. You're also in Sydney. I assume it's also one thirty in the morning. What are you drinking to keep awake, or what are you going to drink after you go to sleep and wake up later? Well, you're getting a, a triumvirate of, uh, of tea today, Bonnie. Um, I've also got tea, but um, a slightly different one to Argo and, and Tony. I've got um, a rooibos tea, which is a, a red bush tea, which is um, very popular in, in the southern African region. Um, mm-hmm. So my wife is uh, from South Africa, so she introduced uh, me to rooibos tea many years ago, and it's become a, a staple part of our household and something that I'll drink quite often in the morning and also in the evening. It's a red tea, so when you see it in the cup, it's red. It doesn't actually have any caffeine in it, um, and it's um, just a very refreshing tea, which has a, a lovely flavor to it, and um, just gives you a little bit of Africa in your day, which is, which is kind of nice as well. Lovely, and I must tell you, I know I have a little trivia about rooibos tea. Many of our listen, many of our panelists actually drink it. It has a a lot of health benefits. Kian, it's used as a cure for nagging headaches, insomnia, asthma, eczema, bone weakness, hypertension, aller- allergies, and premature aging. It is absolutely free from con- caffeine, as you said, and it's low in tannins, which is good. That tannic acid that bothers a lot of people. No side effects, and it can further ease severe stomach cramps. And and bring relief to asthma and other conditions, and it boosts the immune system of your entire body. I love it. Thank you very much. Uh, by the way, are you drinking red rooibos? I understand there might be a couple of different varieties. Is it red you're drinking? Yes, I am. I'm, I'm, I drink it red. Yeah. Okay. Glad to know. Thank you and welcome and please stay awake. We need you. Sean Robertson, you are holding down the fort with me here in the U.S. Where are you calling from, Sean? I, and what time is it? It's 1130 here in New York. Uh, what, what time is it where you are? Hi, Bonnie. I'm uh, I'm in Scottsdale, Arizona, and it's about eight thirty. Okay, what are you drinking? Well, I have two things. I'm drinking a traditional uh, cup of coffee, but uh, I'm also drinking a uh, a green juice. I don't know cucumbers, you know cucumber, anything, basically anything green uh, is somewhere in there. And uh, that's because I can't, uh, I, I don't know, since I was a kid, I can't sit down and, and actually desire and ask for vegetables first. Uh, so my wife uh, decided since I didn't do it, she'll just make me drink them. And so uh, <laughs> she, she ensures uh, that I get the, uh, the right amount of greens per day. God bless her. 
Very glad you have somebody making sure you're healthy. Yes, thank you very much, Sean. And uh, I'm here in New York, and as Sean may remember from the last time he was on Game Changers, but new information for Tony Key and Inago is that they don't let me have caffeine on radio show days. So I'm drinking a cool, clear glass of cool, clear water in a cool, clear mug with a cool, clear straw. But you know what? I'm gonna During the break, I'm going to go get a green straw because I think we need green for money, for profitability, for bottom line success because our topic today is B2B sales winners, the role of innovation. And we're going to get to that concept of innovation after the break. So delighted to be speaking with Ago Clattens at Rain Group, Tony Hughes, Kean McLaughlin, and Sean Robertson. We'll talk more about where they're from. After we take a break, don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. We will be right back. Jason out. The pace of innovation is moving faster than ever, and the future of business will be defined by how quickly business leaders adapt to accelerated ongoing change. Factors as diverse as insights from growing volumes of data, the new global pool of talent, resource scarcity, and business networks and supply chains are shaping the definition of future success. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how business leaders can shape the future of change. Innovating Innovation with Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. You're listening to Innovating Innovation with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Innovating Innovation with Game Changers. Welcome back. This is Innovating Innovation with Game Changers. We have a very hot topic today. B2B sales winners, the role of innovation. Started out with some great opening quotes from our panelists, Ago Clattens at... Rain Group, and we're speaking with Kian McLaughlin at, uh, he's at Trinity Perspectives, and we've got best-selling author and international keynote Tony Hughes, and we've got Sean Robertson, Global VP of Management, Excellent Social Selling and eCenter Optimization at SAP. So let's kick off the roundtable in earnest. When I ever say in earnest, my mother always says, are you sincere? Yes, Mom, I'm sincere. We're going to start with Ago Clattens, and Ago sent me some interesting comments here. He says, buyers expect more from sellers today than ever before. The buyers are more informed, they're more critical, they're more opinionated, and they're less forgiving of sellers who fail, fall short of the mark. Ago, tell us more, please. All right, Bonnie. So, so and here's one thing that I just want to point out, uh, which kind of probably influences how I think about these things, right? So if you look at my career, um, it's about a 50-50 split. So 50% of my career I spent in some way selling something, right? Mostly professional Mm -hmm. services, managing, consulting, things like that. But I was in a role where I was selling and or I was selling as part of what I did. The other 50%, however, was spent on the other side of the table. So um, I I joined a a large financial services firm, became a manager and later on executive. And so I've been sold to many, many, many times as well. Um, And what I've seen gradually over the years um, since I started my career is that 
the you know the role in the the dance between buyers and sellers is changing and it's changing pretty substantially, right? As Dan Pink points out in his excellent book uh, "To Sell a Human," we've moved from a world that is essentially buyer beware, where sellers had all the information, held all the cards, um, had all the you know had all the advantages, to a world that is now seller beware, where buyers are much more critical, much more informed, much more opinionated, right? Um, there's a lot of information out there on the internet. Think of any product you want to buy from specialty to ball bearings to high-end financial services, and chances are you'll find a lot of information on the Internet. Now, we've actually done some research on this at Ring Group, and you referenced a study in your intro. So mm-hmm. we looked at, um, we, we, we interviewed and surveyed 700 senior B2B buyers, um, you know, executives that you, as sellers in B2B you'd typically be selling into. Um, and we tried to answer two simple questions. Number one, what makes you as a buyer decide to purchase from one firm versus another? And number two, what does that mean for customer loyalty, right? And interestingly, and this is where we get to the innovation part, a list of 10 factors started, um, started popping up. Top 10 attributes separating sellers who win from second-place finishers. And again, this is not sellers speaking. This is buyers mm-hmm. speaking about why they buy from one particular individual, one firm versus another. The number one reason that buyers quote that makes them buy from one firm versus another is because the seller educated them with new ideas or perspectives. New ideas or perspectives, in other words, innovation, right? Tell me something I don't already know. Tell me something I can't download on the Internet. Tell me something I can't get from you know, watching a webinar or, or uh, a YouTube video. So the number one reason why buyers buy from firm A versus firm B educated me with new ideas and perspe- or perspectives. The number two reason collaborated with me um, both are related to innovation, right? Um, some, some might say that innovation is recombining over the existing elements into something new. That's about collaboration. One more thing I just want to point out. Both Kian and Tony in their intro talked about the importance of, um, of emotion in selling and especially in our decision-making. And this research certainly bears that out and supports that as well. If you look at this list of 10 factors, I'm not going to quote all 10, but there's some basic stuff in there. Listen to me, understood my needs, connected with me personally. So, um, you know, the value of connecting, the value of building relationships is still a very important factor in the buyer decision-making process. But it's not the determining factor. The determining factor is educating Sellers educating buyers with new ideas or perspectives. Thank you. Very, very interesting. That education, I, I would send, I would uh, suspect, Ago, that comes from, as, as we talked about, the huge amount of information about anything you could possibly want that's readily available a keystroke away, a tap on a keyboard away, a tap on a, on, a, on a cell phone away. So, yes, they want something new and fresh, new ideas and perspectives. Thank you. Very good information. Tony, let's get you to weigh, on, weigh in on what Ago presented here. Agree or disagree? What are your thoughts? Yeah, Bonnie, I, I really agree with Ago. And, and the research that he's uh, done at the Rain Group is very consistent with what Corporate Executive Board have done, um, and also Forrester, and also the TAS Group in research. So what we know is that um, uh, 95% of buyers expect insight from the seller, and yet 85% of sales engagements fail to actually meet the expectation. Um, So when you combine that with the fact that nearly three-quarters of buyers will choose to do business with the first person that does start to educate them and provide some insights, 
they become the emotional favourite. They'll often get that, that, that second choice or last opportunity to actually win the business at the end. Um, he's, really, he's really right on the money. The thing I would add to all of this is that I think that salespeople need to learn to talk the language of leaders. And, and the language of leaders, the people that really make the decisions, is delivering outcomes, managing risk, and it's numbers. So one of the big problems that salespeople face and they faced it forever, is that you get delegated down to the person you sound alike. So if you talk about uh, product features and functions, you get delegated down to people that evaluate those things. So the big challenge for sellers today is to be able to elevate the conversations and to be able to provide value in the conversation itself to lead to the value they can provide in their product or solution that they're actually delivering. So Argo is right on the money. Thank you very much. Talking about money, let's move to uh, Ch- Kian. Kian McLaughlin, what do you see? Look, I think it's it's a fascinating question, and it's one which um, scares a lot of salespeople, particularly salespeople you know who are at a certain age or a certain stage of their careers. Um, I ran a workshop last week, and I'd say the average age in the room was probably you know mid forties to early fifties, and a lot of those. Um, salespeople were very worried because back in the day, they were the, the big game hunters. They were the they were the salespeople that every firm wanted to get their hands on because mm-hmm. you know, they, they knew they could close deals. But what's happened is we've moved from gen- from generalist to specialist. Customers' expectations are changing. The way they want to interact with salespeople and companies are changing. And it's back to to the point you know Ago made: if you're not in a position to educate, if you can't add value, then why are you in the room? Because the walking, talking brochure that might have allowed you to, you know, to get a deal five, ten years ago, that's not what customers want anymore. So as buyers are expecting more from sellers, we're having to evolve and reinvent our skill sets, our characteristics, our behaviors in order to be able to, to fulfill that promise. And those that are struggling to do that are the ones that are getting found out. And unfortunately, what's starting to happen is certainly at the bottom end of the market, but increasingly moving up. We're being replaced. We're being automated. Certain tasks and activities are, are, are just being taken away. And if you haven't got the skill sets to back up, then you're in trouble. Yeah, and, and uh, that goes to an interesting question about the composition of the sales force today, and we can talk about that later in our roundtable. How do millennials come into this? Are they going to be able to hit the ground running with that innovation in their brain, that mindset, that digital thought process, and understanding this relationship building and this trust and using all of the, the key digital tools? We'll talk about that in a little while. Thank you, Kian. Sean Robertson, love to get your two cents or however, however much you're willing to ante up on this topic that Ago started. Talk to us. Yeah, you bet. I might give you a nickel. But, okay. Um, <laughs> I deserve uh, that one. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. So um, I, I think I would start out with a quote that, uh, you know, we don't sell drills. We sell holes in the wall. Mm-hmm. And I, I think when you look at the information, I don't think anyone, if someone was still arguing about whether or not a customer could not talk to anyone and make some sort of logical choice, uh, then, then I think they're already lost. I, I think that's an accepted norm. I think the key now is there's almost too much information. It's the customer, if they look up, you know, what a normal search engine topic, which 10 years ago would have brought up seven hits, there's now 7,000 hits. And the, the question becomes somebody still needs to help the customer orchestrate this complexity. 
and to figure out how these things link together because most of the information that people see, it's disparate information based on the hammer or the drill or et cetera that the customer actually wants, but no one's talking about the job site and erecting the skyscraper. They're talking about their tool that they're trying to push. So I still think there's a need uh, for some sort of some sort of orchestration, and I think the companies that figure out that their salesperson uh, that that their job isn't necessarily to do baseline education, but their job mm-hmm. is to help that customer sift through the the sea of information and really pull out what's logical so that they can make that hole in their wall. I think that person still has tremendous value. And I don't think it's based on age or it's based on experience. It's really based on that person's desire to help a customer solve a problem rather than push bits and bytes or, or sell uh, their solution. They're, what they really need to be selling is their self to the customer and then helping that customer solve a problem. And I think the people that get that right, regardless of industry, have a, have a fair chance in the new, new sales world. Thank you, Sean. Very interesting. While you were speaking, I was dialing back in my notes to what we started the topic with Ago Clattons at Rain Group. And, and Ago mentioned that in their study, a buyer said the number one reason for buying someone is they educated with me, me with new ideas or perspectives. And I think that ties in nicely what you said, Sean, because if you think about it, don't sell drills, sell holes. And by the way, I Googled that and I came up with instantly about 12 articles from everybody, including Jeffrey Gittimer, G-I-T-O-M-E-R, and Barry Popick and all over the place, Sean Hunter and Izanga blog, everybody's talking about it. So my point is that the new perspective could be, hey, Bob, you came into my hardware store. You say you want a drill. Let's look at what you're trying to do with the drill. Let's flip it around. You want to make a hole in the wall. Where is the wall? How big is the hole? What is it connecting to? What do you need to put in the hole once you drill it? So, Sean, would you agree that that, that falls into educating with a new perspective is looking at the need rather than just the implement to attain that need or achieve that need? Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that, uh, again, I go back to, to the salespeople that are hyper aware, get that. I was actually uh, early in my master's program, I, I did a master's in the sales transformation. And one of the things I'll never forget, they, they came in and they had a, you know, a, a hot shot that had done all kinds of analytics on salespeople, et cetera. And he said something that, that forever kind of changed me. He said, when they interviewed all the customers, and they ask them, what kind of salesperson do you want? The customer said, we want someone that's aggressive, pushy, uh, self-absorbed, driven. And I was like, what? Like, this is 100% against everything I said. But then they said, but we don't want them pointed at us. We want that person pointed back at you so that mm. we... Out of your company, we get your best. Out of your company, we get the best resources, the best help. So I, I thought that was pretty interesting um, that we, we look at these aggressive salespeople uh, sometimes like that's, that's better that they're aggressive, but really it's who they're aggressive with. And if they aggressively help their customer and become that customer advocate and their aggression is and, and kind of drive is pointed back at the company they represent to get the best for that customer, then that's really the ideal. 
and that's the person uh, that, that will really make it in this new age. That person who can orchestrate success for the customer, that person who is hyper, hyper aware and hyper aggressive to get that customer what they need and to get the best out of the company they represent, I think that person has a chance, uh, again, regardless of industry, to make a big impact. Thank you very much. And, Ago, since you started this topic, we had some great comments from your colleagues on the panel. Ago, you want to wrap this up, put a nice red bow around it? What are your thoughts? Yeah, so I really liked um, what Sean said about, you know, there's just too much information out there. There's literally a sea of information, and and I call it the the difference between information and interpretation, right? Um, You can literally go online and Google any kind of product or service you would want to buy right now, and instantly, within the next five minutes, download, you know, five white papers, three webinars, Mm -hmm. and whatnot. Is that going to help you in the sales process? Well, I'm not sure. And a lot of the things that we're seeing now is that buyers are... Um, more confused than ever before as well because there are many, many, many more options out there. And that's why new ideas and perspectives are so key. And the key word here is truly new. It's really about telling a buyer something they didn't already know, changing their perspective on something, helping them see things in a different light. And and for me, you know, I, I did mention and we're kind of focusing on the number one factor here, but the number two factor for me is equally important. To do that in a collaborative way, to go through the journey together, thereby building trust um, and, and, and making a, you know, turning a relationship into a long-term relationship, that is truly, truly, I, I think that is, I believe, not, not just from the research, but from my own experience, both as a buyer and a seller, um, that is truly what differentiates, what, what separates out. Um, you know, uh, the winners from second-place finishers. Other research out there bears this out, right? Forrester famously claiming that one million sales jobs will be lost by 2020, mostly replaced by automation and inside sales. The three categories going down, order takers, navigators, and explainers. The one category that will grow, consultants. So this, this is happening. Thank you very much. Very good insights. Now, I want to make sure we have enough time to cover a lot more topics. So I'm going to pick a topic from each of the other panelists, Tony and Kian and Sean, and have you talk about it, and then we'll just get a 30-second response from the other panelists so we can go around the table quickly. Sorry for the rush, but so much good content here. Tony Hughes, very important statement you sent me in your notes. You say, 1 million B2B salespeople will lose their roles in the U.S. by 2020 according to Forrester, but the smart salespeople can make themselves fireproof. Tony, tell us more. Yeah, so that's really that uh, research that I go just referenced that was Andy Hall from Forrester published a report in April last year called uh, Death of a B2B Salesman. Um, and the thing to me that is really interesting is that the, the enemy of field salespeople is the problem of commoditization. So every high-value solution or service over time becomes a commodity. It becomes a crowded market. Uh, and I really agree with some of the comments that have been made just previously. I, I don't think that buyers are necessarily better educated than sellers. I think they can often get a little bit of information and then become confused. So um, the thing we need to do to overcome commoditization is we've, we've got to make the way that we sell to be the biggest point of difference rather than what we're actually selling. Um, and the, the, the salespeople who can actually make that step that understand that although I as a seller are, are looking to build a relationship with the buyer, there's no value in the relationship for the buyer. The, the, the value is really for the seller. They want that relationship so they can establish trust and make the sale. 
but the value for the buyer is them getting their problem solved. So we've got to get much better at actually leading with value. So that 10% of salespeople that are going to be okay, they're mm-hmm. the ones that adopt a consultative approach that can operate strategically. I don't know about the others on the call, but whenever a salesperson has come to me when I've been running companies in the past and said that the deal is strategic, to me that's code for I want to, I want to give it away or we're not going to sell anything for about 18 months. Um, but being strategic really means we're going to work with the client to be, become a really good engineer of value. So, so when we look at what B2B sales winners do differently, they really think about their customer's customer. They think about B to B to C. They think about the customer experience that their client is trying to create in their markets as well um, and, and use that as the reason that they can start to get a really good level of engagement. Thank you very much. And let's go around the table quickly. I'm going to move to Kian McLaughlin. Kian, why don't you give us a one-minute response or even, I tell you what, uh, yeah, one minute or less, just real fast. Sure. Well, look, um, there's a couple of things which stand out for me in relation to this to this topic. Um, I think it's, uh, you mentioned millennials earlier on, Bonnie, and I think mm-hmm. it's really important that if you are in this sort of more senior sales bracket and you're, you're trying to avoid being automated or being um, fired or losing your job, find yourself a reverse mentor, not just because mm. these are the guys, these are the customers of the present and the future, but also because it's going to keep you relevant, it's going to keep you connected, it's going to increase your level of differentiation and reduce the risk that your, your skills will become commoditized or, or redundant. Don't just think, oh, well, I can give them some value, but actually ask yourself what value can you extract back or exchange with one another, and that, that will help you, you know, lift your level and stay relevant. Thank you. Sean, one-minute response. Yeah, I actually, I had, a, uh, I had an employee, the guy was about 53, and he was so, I mean, uh, the, the edge he had to be relevant was probably the best I've ever seen. And what he did is instead of looking at millennials as a threat or instead of looking at automation uh, as something scary, he, I remember, and this was, this was five years ago, six years ago, so this is, you know, even before this latest wave, his comment uh, was, I understand that if I try to be who I am today, that tomorrow I may not be relevant. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to figure out who somebody's going to be by next Friday, and I'm going to go learn how to be it. And so I think that every person has a chance to be relevant if they have a desire to be relevant. And your desire to be relevant is really what should be driving how you educate yourself, how you, um, what you look up and what you emulate. But I think the bottom line is it's less about, it's less about, conditions and it's more about drive and desire and if you have someone with a drive and desire I really don't care what their age is if they have a desire to be relevant and understand modern communication and understand modern tool usage then they can turn that experience they have into something that will take these new innovations and create something even more attractive to the marketplace because they're taking the latest styles and communication and they're wrapping that richness of experience they have. And that, to me, is the best-case scenario, not the worst-case. Thank you, Sean. Quickly, I'm going to move to Argo Clattens at Rain Group. Argo, comments before I move on? 
Yeah, I'll, 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 and I'll be very brief on this. Um, so I love what Tony said about the need for sellers to be and to become more strategic. Um, in fact, another piece of research, which I won't mention, but I'll just give you the statistic here. So we found that 75% of all the purchases that B2B buyers make are what they consider to be strategic opportunities, meaning the buyer doesn't have to buy anything, but they're making a purchase as an investment into their future and the future of their firm. Now, and here's the good news. Only 14% of buyers report discovering those opportunities from the seller. In other words, um, the sellers are doing, uh, have a long way to go in terms of highlighting, bringing up opportunities that are truly strategic, and buyers want to hear from that. Uh, they want to hear from them because when sellers do bring up ideas proactively, we found that client satisfaction goes up, win rates go up, client loyalty goes up. So the good news, the silver lining, if you will, is Sellers out there, if you're listening to this, there's a huge, tremendous opportunity for you to bring up opportunities more proactively. Your buyers want to hear from you, um, and they want you to be more strategic in your thinking. Thank you very much. I'm going to hit one point from Kian and one point from Sean before we very quickly go to our crystal ball predictions round. Kian, I'm looking at your notes. Here's a very telling, ha, 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 telling comment. You say, storytelling is the number one skill that all B2B salespeople need to master. Why don't you give me a one-minute comment on that, Kian, and then we'll go to one point from Sean. Go ahead, Kian. Well, I think what's really interesting about stories is you know, we've been we've been hearing stories for thousands of years, and and they're the best possible way to embed ideas and to to create connection with with what you're talking about. But they also do some weird things to people's brains. They they synchronize the listener's brain with with the teller's brain. Um, so mirror neurons and neural coupling and all this crazy stuff is going on inside the person's brain. Um, they create emotional connection. They enhance memory. Um, they command attention more so than anything else. And if we can harness stories, case studies, war stories, whatever it might be, and use them liberally, sprinkle them into our conversations and our sales activities, it just can have a profoundly positive effect on not just the ability of our, our message to stick, but actually to create um, emotion and ultimately to to drive action in our customers. It's, it, it's a really uh, profoundly simple but... Um, uh, impactful skill set to master as a salesperson. Thank you very much. And Sean, I have one minute. You got to stick to one minute. Here's a topic you said I think is very provocative. If you ask me who the best social sellers are, they're the ones that no longer view it as social selling. Sean Robertson, give me a one minute comment, please. Yeah, I just think when social selling first came out, uh, it was brand new and it became a category and it drives a lot of uh, people's jobs, right? Keeping it. Uh, separate and making a whole skill set around it and et cetera. And there's a whole industry now uh, about social sellers. But if you ask the millennials that are coming in and you explain social sell, they don't call it social selling. It's called communication. That's how they communicate. And I think the social selling concept over time has really been for the people who don't communicate that way. It's created a way for them to be relevant. But I think as you see, as you, the, at least in my experience, our people that are the most "quote unquote" social or the best social sellers—that's just who they are. They don't—they don't look at it as a separate skill set. It's their skill set. It's how they communicate. And if you look at kind of the old seller, maybe it was a cup of coffee and how to unlock the customer. Well, today it's here's how I link in socially, and here's how I connect them in my Facebook, and here's how I do Instagram, and here's how I do. They just, that's just how they communicate. So I think over time, 
uh, I think the social selling concepts going to stay important to bring everyone else up to speed. But I think the, the best ones just realize this is just selling and it's not something, a separate skill. It's just what you need to embody and Thank be, you, Sean. be relevant. Thank you, Sean. Very interesting. You got that word relevant in there, and I love that. Okay, Ago Clattons at Rain Group, I can give you about 45 seconds for your prediction. We're really tight on time, but I know you have something. So let's look forward to, uh, let's say, the year 2020 or any time in that vicinity, B2B sales winners, the role of innovation. What would your prediction be? What will change? Ago, 45 seconds, go. All right. So, and first, keep in mind, I'm talking about B2B sales, and 2020 really isn't that far out. It's three years out, right? So, mm-hmm. I'm seeing four things. Number one, um, there's going to be an increasing schism in sales. So, uh, the traditional salesperson, quote unquote, will be in even more trouble than they are already. Um, there's going to be a, a real widening gap between transactional, automated, cost efficient, uh, cost efficient online selling and buying, and then high-end, inside-driven, consultative, high-ticket, trusted advisor type selling. Um, the core skill set of a seller will be equivalent to that of a high-end business consultant, um, a business person, as, as Tony mentioned. Um, the three other things I'm seeing, globalization and outsourcing. Um, I think the core parts of the sales cycle will be either offshore or specialized, things like prospecting, lead gen, social media management, back office stuff, to contain the rapidly rising cost of sales. Um, innovation means we're going to see new business models, new market entrants, new product services, technology come in um, increasingly and faster and faster. And then finally, and this has already been mentioned, we're going to see some pretty dramatic changes in buyer behavior. Uh, the rise of the millennial generation, increased uh, usage and, and penetration of social media, big data, uh, growing aversion of risk. Uh, this is going to be an exciting, interesting time if you're in sales. Thank you very much. Tony Hughes, I can give you 30 seconds. We're just about at the end. Go ahead, Tony. Predictions. Go. <laughs> I predict that there's a bright future for B2B salespeople who can uh, modernize the way they sell and recognize that they need to fund their role and they need to fund their role by having a really strong personal brand, having genuine insight and providing value for people in the conversations that then lead to the thing or the service that they're selling. So the salespeople that can get old school and new school to come together are the ones that will embrace technology and work with it rather than be threatened by it and potentially lose their roles. Thank you so much, Kian McLaughlin. 30 seconds. Keep it tight. Go ahead. Four words. Disruption, automation, specialization, and democratization. I think that's what's going to happen. Um, and I think the last one, democratization, customers are going to play a more active role in the, in the sales process. And so too will partners. Uh, it's going to become a lot more collaborative than it is at the moment. It's a little bit us and them. I think that's going to be a big change that occurs in the next couple of years. Thank you. You're my hero. Sean, I got 30 seconds or less. Go ahead. Yeah, I think you're going to see more of the same. You're going to see a continued expansion of inside sales, a continued shrinking uh, field sales or, or outside sales. I think people are going to automate. You're going to see much more of the buying behavior be focused on stores and Amazon web type services. And I still kind of believe what we've said that the person who stays relevant is the one who embraces, not resists. 
Thank you very much. My panelists were wonderful today. I can't thank you enough. Ago Clattens, Tony Hughes, Kean McLaughlin, Sean Roberts, and a shout out to Kirsten Boylow at SAP for recommending that Sean join the panel today. Kirsten is in Bogota, Colombia, couldn't make the show, so she said, Sean's the man, and he certainly was. Thank you to the four of you and also to Oski Olmez at SAP for putting together this panel and this topic, a terrific panel. And thank you so much for your insights and a shout out to Jason and Justin and the business channel team. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. Come on, you know it's relevant. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Everyone have a great one. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Innovating Innovation with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join your host, Bonnie D. Graham, on Thursdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.